Hello, everyone. This is Bill Knauer, and you're listening to Author to Author, where we talk about writing and life. Because what it takes to write the book you want to write is also what it takes to lead the life you want to lead. It's true. Author to Author is brought to you by Author Magazine, the premier free writing magazine on the internet, featuring articles on writing and the writing life, as well as video interviews with best-selling and award-winning authors across the genres. You can learn more at pwa.org. And we are funded by the Good people at the Pacific Northwest Writers Association, supporting writers from pen to publication since 1955. You can learn more about the PNWA, their yearly conference, their classes, their workshops, everything, all over at pnwa.org. Yes. Well, it was to my attention that maybe I did not mention or make a big enough deal the fact that we released an audio version of my book, Everyone Has What It Takes, A Writer's Guide to the End of Self-Doubt, narrated by yours truly. Yes. Oh, I had a good time doing that. Uh, and it was just a lot of fun to get to bring some energy to, uh, to the audiobook. And uh, it's, it, it's out. It's out, people. You can get it in all audiobook formats, I believe. Penguin has made it available in all the formats. So, Go check it out. If you want to like have something to listen to, to be inspired by, it's an inspiring book. That's what I wrote it for. And uh, I got into it when I read it. So you can have me in your ear. Yeah, it'll be good. Everyone has what it takes. Writer's Guide to the End of Self-Doubt, where all your audio books are sold. Okay. Hey, we got a debut novelist today. Love talking to the newbies. Uh, but this woman's had an interesting life already. Amy Tector. She spent more than 20 years plumbing the secrets squirreled away in archives, whether it's uncovering a whale's ear, it's a true story, in a box of old photographs, or working in The Hague for the United Nations International Criminal Tribunal for War Crimes in the former Yugoslavia, she has been privy to hidden records and extraordinary secrets. She now works at Canada's National Archives, Library and Archives Canada, and is adjunct professor at the University of Ottawa and a sessional instructor at Carleton University. But her debut novel, The Honey Bee Emerald, and it's a good one, yes it is, will be published in the spring, uh, in March of this year, 2022. But her second novel, The Foulest Things, is the first in a loose trilogy centered on murders and mayhem in the archives. And it will be published in the autumn of this year, 2022. And Amy is with me now, Amy, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Bill. All right. So you, what, so you, where did this, this uh, desire to dig secrets up, where did this problem of yours begin? Did it go all the way back to your childhood or did you just fall into it? Oh, I fell into it. Yeah. You fell so. in. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think we all have ideas about archives and, and you yeah. know, think that there are mysteries and secrets hidden there, and there's yeah. been tons of movies and books about about it, so I think we all have kind of a vague idea of what an archives is, and we know that there's some secret stuff hidden there, but uh, until I actually applied for the job, I hadn't given archives much thought, to be honest. Yeah. So it was a real, yeah. you know, it, it was an opportunity that came up, and I, I applied and was lucky enough to to start working there, and that's when I discovered how much how complex archives can be and how much fun. And um, and so you had a PhD in, in in English literature, and was it just like, well, 
I mean, you had a PhD, you just go teach somewhere. But no. Or did you get the PhD after getting the, jo- the work, starting to work in archives? I got the PhD after. So I was actually, I had I started to do my PhD, mostly because mm-hmm. I just loved reading, uh, which yeah. I'm sure is super familiar to all of your <laughs> listeners. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so as a giant reader, so of course the thing to do is to then study literature. So I was yep. on that path. Um, but I was in my second year of my PhD and I was very poor, <laughs> and yeah. very, uh, discouraged. And I, there was an advertisement for the, for a job at the National Archives. And I thought, oh, this maybe could be interesting. But again, yeah. I, you know, I didn't actually know what an archivist did really, uh, when I applied and I was just lucky enough to get in and learn on the job. Yeah. And so I'm not I'm trying to I was I'm tempted to ask you what does an archivist do that fearful of the answer of how com, <laughs> of how hard it will be for you to answer that beyond like well we what it so, but tell me like, what does an archivist do Well I I'll you know I teach it now so I I have oh, some sort of quick oh. answers where I don't yeah. descend into the weeds I hope essentially yeah. archives are like libraries, although we don't like that comparison because they're very different as well. Uh-huh. <laughs> Essentially, archives are like the libraries for everything that's unpublished. So you, Bill, um, have an archives of material. I have an archives. Everyone has an I archive, yes. which is your emails. It's your postcards that you received. It's the artwork you've done. It's every photograph you've ever taken. That's your archives. And so what uh, archival institutions do is they collect that unpublished stuff. So not yeah. your books, but the unpublished yep. stuff. Yeah. And then they preserve that. They probably won't collect your records. Hey, hey, <laughs> hey, really... hey it's, not, it's not too late. To, it's not too late. We don't know that. We don't <laughs> yeah, know. exactly. But generally it's for prominent, yeah. you know, I know. prominent people. <laughs> yes. hey, like I said, you don't know. We don't know what They're the not going to take my records either. Yeah. It's true. So, it's true. There's still time. You don't know. Uh, well, I'll keep it all preserved just in case. Exactly. <laughs> um, and so, but, you, but you're the, but the, uh, someone, you know, to tie this into novel writing, someone writing a historical novel, that's what they want. That's the stuff they want. They want to look at the, the, the raw data, so to speak, right? I mean, published stuff is good, but looking at people's letters and pictures, that's what, that gives you a even more, it seems to me, gritty sense of things from the past in a person's life, yeah? Yeah, for sure. And that's the thing that people get really excited about and passionate about when they talk about archives is they can, you know, come through the doors and sit down and touch the letter, yeah. you know, that Amelia Earhart wrote or, yeah. um, you know, look at the look at the government, the super boring government ledger that actually reveals, you know, the discriminatory policy that they're writing about. They can, right. you know, they know that other people, people from the past, have touched it. It's this connection to the past that you don't get through published works because it's unmediated. It's, yes. it's the, it's the direct thing. Um, so yes. it really is this, this tangible connection to the past that yeah. gets people super excited, and I think it really inspires people's imagination as well. I think so. There's something about those that haven't been scribed. Look, at, I, I like my published work, and I, you know, I, I. I take care with it, but there is something about the unscrubbed material of just yeah. your, that, that you produce as you go along. It's very different than if you could, you know, look at a letter from Hemingway or whatever. Yeah. Um, all right. So you're doing this now. Uh, and I do want to get to honeybee emeralds. Congratulations, by the way. And it's not out yet. As we're doing this. It's, it's the 20th. It's two 
It's 022222. It's t- Tuesday when we're doing this on a Tuesday. Uh, but in 03, when is, what's the actual pub date for Honeybee Emeralds? You told me and I've forgotten. It's March 28th. 29th. 29th. Okay, so, yeah. okay, so people can pre-order it now. Do it, people. Pre-order it. Congratulations. But before we get to that, we have to talk about the United – you've got how you this trans over, transitioned. You did some work for the, the Hague. Good yeah. Lord. Whoa. Yeah. War crimes. That's, that's heavy-duty stuff, it seems to me. Or was it just more squirreled away in dusty rooms? Like, what, no. what was that like? That was intense. That's exactly what it was. So yeah. there's a it's the there's a, been a criminal tribunal for the war crimes in Yugoslavia. That's now you know a war that happened 25 years ago. Yeah. yeah. Um, but and there's been this tribunal that's gone on to prosecute the the war criminals. Yeah. Um, that was an international body, so it didn't belong to any particular country, which is why the United Nations was running it. Um, yep. And now they were finally, when I was there about five years ago, they just started to wind down, like the trials and all of the appeals and all of the everything was over. And it took a really long time to kind of complete that because many of the many of the accused uh, went on the run and were fugitives, international <laughs> fugitives. Right. So they had to be caught. Yeah. So there's so there's a whole apparatus of bureaucracy and, and law enforcement that exists to catch these international criminals. It's the same thing right. for Rwanda, and I imagine it'll be the same thing for Syria and yeah. really anywhere where there's an international court. So I learned so much. Anyway, um, but yeah, so they were winding that down, and they realized, hey, wait a second, we've got, we've got this amazing repository of information that documents this extremely horrifying uh, history of this region and in fact of yeah. really all of Europe because all of Europe was consumed by that war so yeah. um, they were like we need to preserve this and so they've set up an archive uh, for th- that particular uh, tribunal see. which was Yugoslavia and at the same time they've done one for Rwanda so there's like a right. sister organization for the for the genocide in Rwanda as well so yeah right. so the records are not sort of oh, so those you know, are the records fun you're stories going those are heartrending oh, records and a, and a lot of photographs I imagine and letters and yeah it's all the evidence that was presented in the court yeah. so all so yeah. each case against each accused person all, right. you know the all of the all of everything that was presented and then it's also all the evidence that the prosecution gathered that might not have made it to court. So, right, the, you right. know, there are bullets and there are guns and there are, uh, you know, maps and all sorts of strange and often sad and horrible things sure. that, are, that are being preserved. So it's part archives, part um, museum, you know, because there's those objects as well. Yeah. And did, and did they come to you and say, hey, Amy, you want to do this? Or did you see an, an a, a opening? I mean, this is... I mean, it's international, so there's archivists all over the world. How did that fall into your lap, or did you go pursuing it? Oh, I pursued it because there's there's the there's lots of places that, that like lots of international organizations need archivists. So people right. are looking for a career that'll get you moving. Uh, um, there are huh? there's lots of spots where that kind of that knowledge of how to manage information that way and preserve it and all the rest. Um, so yeah, so it was a job and I applied for it and I, uh, I got it. Now you see, I think not for everybody, but I think that given the, the writer's personality, it is not a bad fit for people who they don't have to be lawyers. 
or teachers, it seems like the, the mind of the writer could be put to good use being an archivist. It seems like a fit. I mean, I would think you're not the only one. Maybe there's something about that. For one thing, we're recluses, <laughs> by and large. We're, we're happy being alone. Let's put it that way. We're comfortable with our own company. Yeah? Yeah. That's certainly yeah. true. Yeah. All right. So there, all right. So you're archiving away, and you're teaching. You get your PhD. Congratulations. Uh, you, you're married. You've got a, you know, you, you, you're living a life. And then... What happened? You said, I'm going to write a novel. Tell me about that decision. Because you've loved reading the books and probably writing papers. And that's one thing. Academic writing is one thing. Novels, a whole different animal. So talk to me about that, that unfortunate choice of yours. <laughs> no, it was a great choice. Tell me about it. How did you get bit by that bug? Uh, well, I, like it went hand in hand with the reading. So since I was a kid, yeah. I've been writing. Um, okay. always. And I, you know, if I'm honest, when I was, whatever, however old I was, when I was like, oh, I'll go and do my PhD in English literature, because I love reading so much, what I really wanted to do was write books. But I, uh, that's crazy. That's a crazy thing to do. So I, uh, <laughs> I, I lost my nerve in my 20s. Wrote. <laughs> <laughs> but I always, but I kept writing. So, um, okay. you what know, were you writing? Fiction? Poetry? Yeah, always fiction. I, yeah. <laughs> no, not librettos. That was that was an interesting interview that guy who wrote the librettos. Oh yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I could I could not do that. I can't sing a note. I'm not musical. Yeah. But um, yeah, I, well, what you know, always, always, I was writing. I was writing. I was writing, and never showed it to anybody. Uh, not know, even your was, hubby. No, no. I mean, this is no. even before I was married. You know, when I okay. was a teenager right. and in my twenties, right, and then right. in my twenties, I went. Um, I did a bit of a backpacking trip with a friend in Australia, and we ended up reading a whole bunch of Harlequin romances on that trip. We just went really? to the used bookstore. They were 10 cents each. We bought, yeah. we filled our backpack, and we just read them and then gave them away, and we chatted about them, and we laughed about yeah. them and got into yeah. them. And by the end of the trip, we were like, we're going to write a Harlequin. How hard right. can it be? We were kind of <laughs> jerky yeah. 20-year-olds who, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. thought that this was an easy thing. So I wrote a, I wrote a Harlequin, but uh, I couldn't sell it because it was terrible because it's a lot harder than you think. <laughs> yes, it is. It's not but, that uh, simple. It's not that and you And I was so snobby, and I was going into sure. my – I was going to start my doctorate in English literature, and ho, 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 isn't this funny? I'm writing a Harlequin, yeah. but uh, I couldn't do it. It yeah. failed completely, and it taught me so much. Writing that first novel broke the seal. Yeah. And even though I, you know, it is a terrible <laughs> abomination, <laughs> but nonetheless, it was the thing that got that made me realize I could write. I could write a whole book, and so from right. there, I really started. I, I took it more seriously, and that's so I've so I've written. You know, I've been writing novels for twenty years. It's just so happy right. that it took twenty years to find someone. I had to get it published. And so, but because, you know, one of the mistakes you made as a, as a snotty 20 year old was that you, you thought, how hard could this be? And mm -hmm. it can be hard, but you also, you got to write about, you actually got to, if you're going to write a novel, it's got to be something you actually care about and like, and like, like really believe it. The, I, a lot of the romance writers I, I know love romance novels. I mean, that's, that's what they love, you know? And, uh, and so you got to love it. I mean, you enjoyed it, but you got to really believe in it to do it, I think. 
and so yeah, I assume I think, I think you're right because uh, I yeah. do enjoy, I love a good romance so right I, yeah, but, but I was different. a bit it's, sneery about it absolutely yeah, gotta, back then you gotta you gotta believe it. you gotta love it you yeah. gotta really love the value of it um all right so you so you write along and when did your writing shift to I don't know what what honeybee emerald where what are we calling this genre wise are they putting it in just in um um i don't know where where the, what are, where are they shelving it i guess it's book club fiction yeah that's what it seemed like to me yeah, yeah i mean sort of contemporary fiction fiction okay yeah and so, with a bit of historical laced in there yeah yeah okay uh the foulest things though that's 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 that has more of a uh, crime. It sounds like a lighthearted crime, or is it going to be a little grittier than that? Uh, it's not. No, it's not gritty. I would say it's not quite a cozy. It's a little right. grittier than a cozy, but it's yeah, it's definitely a mystery. There is a dead body for sure, and um, <laughs> a murder that needs to be solved by an amateur okay. sleuth. But it, but it. yeah. And so, so you were, but so at some point you started shifting and trying to find your, your subject matter that you actually were interested in telling stories about. Yeah. Did that sort of evolve as you wrote your novels that you weren't, that you maybe tried to sell, maybe didn't try to sell, but you didn't really didn't sell anyway. Uh, did that sort of just start evolving? Yeah. I mean, I did the thing, I, I never did an MA, uh, an MSA. So I oh, taught yeah, my, yeah. you know, I, I, my novels, <laughs> each successive novel yep. was me learning more and more. Yep. I, I um, plugged in with an amazing critiquing group that I've been with for 20 oh. years. So that's okay. they massively sustaining. Yeah. And, um, you know, took workshops here and there, but yeah, I was, I, I was just working. So I've written, uh, Three other books before maybe oh. like besides the besides the, <laughs> the terrible romance besides novel. the romance novel, yeah. but even that one, it, it got you from beginning to end. I mean, that's a thing you got to learn. Like, oh, I see, I can finish. I can because a novel, it's a you can't hold it in your head. You know, you gotta um, you gotta. It's a it's a weird way to work because you you just have to trust in something. Even if you outline, you can't really see the whole thing. And so you learned what that was, and that had to be very valuable. Oh, hugely valuable. Every yeah. every book has been massively valuable. And so each time I'd write one, and as well as with the with the romance novel, I tried my damnedest to sell it. So I, you know, in, in, 20 years ago, I was mailing out, you know, photocopying oh, okay. things and mailing oh, out Oh, you were doing and, it. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, was, you know, I was looking for an agent, and I was looking yeah. for, you know, a publisher. Um, yeah, and I just got a lot of rejections and, you know, yeah. got some interested people, but nothing ever quite worked out. And so right. never managed it. Yeah. Um, so I, I've always wondered about the relationship between the English professor, English PhD and a fiction writer, because writing about books, especially academically, is so different than writing, starting with a blank page and, and telling a story. And I, I've often thought, although I think I'm apparently I'm wrong, that the study of literature can kind of screw up your thinking about actually creating literature. Uh, I can, I'm saying. Did you find was was did your PhD, did your did your doctorate interfere with your writing? Help it? Indifferent to it? How how did that work? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I think you're right. Like it's two totally different things. Totally. Because because totally. one, you are for the academic stuff, you're reading that book to to pull it apart a bit, um, yeah. and 
suss out the big themes and the connections and maybe critique it in way, you know, depending on its representation or analyze it, this, that, and the other thing. I did, what I found when I started to try to write creatively is that there was this whole other way of writing that I didn't, which is the mechanics of it, which is the craft of it, that I'd never paid any attention to. Because when you're studying literature, you're studying really good writing, right? Like really polished writing. So I wasn't familiar with bad writing, which was what I was producing. (laughs) You know, know it's interesting. It's actually, sometimes it's more helpful to read stuff that is raw and unfit it teaches you about why stuff works the way it does when you see stuff that isn't working you sometimes more instructive i think oh absolutely yeah i think yeah. i think for sure it, it, that that is helpful so yeah. um, ah, so so you're so you weren't actually so while you were pulling it apart thematically and culturally because you know, it's funny when i was was taking english classes when i was a young man i knew i wanted to be sort of a creative writer all i was doing was looking at the craft it's like look at how hemingway did this with yeah, the language isn't yeah. that cool i was like i don't really want to tell you about what it means i don't care but look how well he did that that's so cool so i was coming at it purely from like a create which didn't go over well with my professors <laughs> <laughs> they didn't know what the hell i was talking about so so and so you didn't but you didn't start get, overthinking your own stuff saying well i got to put the right kind of themes in and i got to kind of did you you didn't start trying to think how the professors, future English professors would read your stuff? That didn't happen? Well, I'm just like, you are opening my mind right now with this question because uh-huh. I'm, <laughs> I'm considering it. And I think, I think, you know, I think the reason that I wanted to write um, a romance novel was because that was outside the bounds. Like, I didn't have to worry about uh, deep themes and, and symbolic importance, like, cause it was genre. And then the next right. two books that I wrote were missed, like full on mysteries. Cause right. again, that got me off the hook. It's, so yep. I think the honeybee is the closest I've come to, to sort of a, having a bit more serious book and it's thematic, but it's lighthearted and funny. Like I didn't, so yeah, it is. I think I have avoided, I think I, I think I've avoided the issue that you have outlined without even yeah. realizing it by well, staying, staying on the lighter end of things and yeah. maybe not, not, I'm not aspiring to literature. I'm not aspiring to, to have my books taught at hey, university. We don't know. We don't, we don't know. know. We don't know. We don't That's know. Right. Moliere probably never thought he'd be taught <laughs> anywhere and he is. So you just That's never true. know, right? True. You just never know. Um, so all right, so you so the honey so honeybee emeralds is your first book that you're that you've sold. It's going to get published. When you were working on, it, did you feel as you were working on it like I think I got a little something here that wasn't in? The, I think I I think I connected a few wires or just like oh, this seemed like all the other ones, but okay, it sold. Did you kind of know beforehand you were onto something different? How did that work? Um, yeah, I've, every time I've written a book, I thought this is the book because ah, I'm, okay. you know, like I. Uh, but this time, me. I really did think right. this is the book. It's set in Paris. It's, it's I think funny. There's some interesting mystery and some good history. So I was like, I, I think people would want to read this. But I have yeah. thought that about my other books. <laughs> yeah. Well. <laughs> so I don't entirely trust that. myself. Yeah. Yeah, but but you, I felt but so, good, and I sorry. Yeah. No, that's okay. So basically, you you. So you've always approached it optimistically, good for yeah. you, and so you were just as optimistic about this one, but you clearly must have been, well, I don't know, maybe the other ones are just as good, that the people you sent to just were blind, couldn't tell, but maybe you got better, too. Probably you did. That's kind of yeah. what happens. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and, and so when you sold it, was, you, was that a happy day? Was it a surprising day? Did you expect it? What's that? How did that go? 
Oh, you know, like it was incredible because yeah, yeah I'd for I had been submitting to agents for a year probably. Uh-huh. And at one point had had a really lovely agent and with some back and forth and ultimately she passed. But I'd said, you know what, I think this is going to be the end for me. Like, I'm going to I'm going to shelve this one and start a new project. That was in September. Yeah. And she said, yeah. well, you know, it wasn't quite right for me, but just keep at it for another few months. And so I did. So thanks to her. <laughs> I just oh. keep at it. Yeah. Keep and at it, you mean submitting or rewriting? Keep submitting. Yeah, like don't give up on it quite yet. Like uh-huh. give it another take another take another kick at the can. So I had given wow. myself the deadline for January to January thirty first twenty twenty one. Okay. Uh and on January fifteenth I got the I got a call and it was from I had at that point stopped submitting to agents and was going to the small publishers who right. accept um direct submissions. Yeah. Uh yeah, and so got the phone call from uh Turner Publishing, Key Light Imprint wow. saying that they and it was the phone call I didn't like I'd heard this before but had never believed it because I'd never experienced it but that you want to find the person who loves your book. And so That's right. That That's phone right. call was with the with this wonderful editor who loved my book and I ah. you know she talked about it she was like, "Oh, it's so interesting in this character and I I wonder if instead of going there they could go there." Like she was full of ideas and we had this amazing conversation yeah, and I got on the phone and I thought, "That's the first time I've talked about a book I've written and somebody's been so excited about it who like is isn't related to me, doesn't love me. Yeah. <laughs> yep. It was so encouraging. Yep. And I said to my husband, even if nothing else happens, that phone conversation was worth like was worth it. Even if I, even if this all goes pear shaped, at right. least at least uh, I had that, that phone conversation that is because a, it was such so a great, nourishing. Yeah. That is such a great moment. And it's so it's such a relief because it's like that's what I wanted. It you know, I, I, I liken it to finding a love partner because you know you don't want to be with anybody you yeah. know if you like men there's a lot of men they're good men nice men attractive men but it's not the same thing right who are you gonna who do you love who do you want to be with and to find someone who's actually excited about your book it's you kind of forget that it's possible don't yeah. you and now you're yeah. going to have the experience of readers feeling the same way and i and i wish nothing but loads of fan mail for you but it's 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 strange amy when people start liking your stuff and you've spent your whole life just saying, please read it, please take it. <laughs> you know, you're just constant, just writing for editors and agents. And then finally just readers get to enjoy it. It's mm. going to be, it's great. It's great. It's such a more natural relationship. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. That's, I'm Look, looking forward to that. Yes. As well. You should. Well, but that, but your experience with the editor to some degree is the first, it's like the, that's a taste of mm. what it's like. Because she came to it in a way as a fan first, and then second as an editor. So, good for you. Ah, that just it. I like hearing about it. Just I just love. I could hear stories like that over and over again. They're just so nice. I feel I so feel for the right. Okay, well, so you got it. It's coming out, and you've already. Is, it, is your next book coming out with them also? Yep. Oh, good for you. And they said, yes, give us another. And, they, and you wrote it. Did you already have it in the works, kind of? I had it in the works. Yeah. So that yeah. was. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, good for you. See, you're gonna be able to. You're just. You're gonna be. You're gonna. You're a working novelist. Welcome <laughs> to the fold, man. You're a writer. I get what well, you always were, but now this is it. What do you think? Can you wear that hat yet? You feel comfortable? Yeah. And I mean, this, that was another. Th- that, that was the other thing that happened. Like, forget actually publishing the book. It 
uh, took away my imposter, getting the contract, yeah. which is not how it should be, but it took away my imposter yeah, syndrome I know. a little yeah, bit. I know. Yeah. <laughs> and now I feel like I'm a real author. And all I can think of is, oh, Amy, you stupid fool. You, yeah. you were always a writer, but I, I didn't feel like I could claim it until last January when, and so that... That's it's how it works. It's so, it's so frustrating because you know, it's like, I always thought I would have gotten published. My work would have gotten published so much faster if I had stopped, if I had just validated myself as much as I did when I got the contracts. It was yeah. so, I was like, God, you could have, you didn't need to be carrying that stupid weight around oh, yeah. my goodness, for so long. But I did, you know, I did. Yeah. And that's just how it goes. Um, all right. Well, Amy, it, so it is, it is a book club book and book clubs should pick it up and read it. And what they should do is they should have you because you're a teacher, so you're going to be very engaging. And so, and they can talk to you about Yugoslavia war crimes, and they can talk to you about your book. <laughs> they can zoom. They will have you zoom in, right? And yeah. uh, and okay. So where should they go if they want to contact you about that? They should go to amytector.com. Yeah, it's a good good website for you, I think. Yeah, <laughs> that was a good choice on your part. Um, okay, <laughs> so, and I'm on Twitter well, too and Instagram, and very happy to excellent. You know, chat with people there too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You got you just engage with her. You're gonna like her, people, and have her come to your work, your group. You guys can drink your Chardonnay and you can talk about her book. It'll be great. All right, <laughs> so I'm not quite done with you, Amy. I got one more question. If all the writing you've done, even the Harlequin romance has taught you anything, it's taught you what? It has taught me to appreciate the process. You know, get, because like I said, it was a long road. And the only way I was able to sustain it in the face of essentially continuous rejection was to enjoy writing and get sort of creative uh, mojo from the act of writing and then from the feedback I'd get from my critiquing group. So it's that thing of like the external stuff is amazing, but if, and even if I, even if the publisher hadn't picked up my book, I'd still be writing right now. So it's, so it's making, it's enjoying, it's enjoying the process and enjoying that creative life. Yeah. No, it's, it's, it's the real deal. It's the real deal. That's a great lesson for everyone, whether we're writers or not, I have to say, Amy, Thank you. Congratulations. Uh, you know, enjoy the little, the, the, the exciting build up to the pub date. Uh, and, and, and I hope you have some great little events. I hope this is enough, whether virtual or in person, I hope you have a nice conversation about this book and many more. Oh, wonderful. Well, thank you so much. I really enjoyed talking to you. I, uh, I, I like this. Uh, I like your podcast radio oh, show. Thank you. Thank you, Amy. I really appreciate it. Good luck with the book. Thanks so much. All right, bye-bye. Bye. Yeah, people, listen. It's the process, not the fruit. Don't worry about the fruit. The fruit will come. You got to be just focused on the growing. That's your job. The fruit just comes naturally. Okay. Good stuff. I'll be back again next week live, I believe. I want to thank my producer, RJ Jeffries. And to all of you out there, go find something you love to do. Just to do. Not the result. But the doing, find something you love to do and do it.
it is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.